God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, Here I am, my son. Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemy. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you've obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Thank you, gentlemen. That's Genesis 22, one of the great passages, really a remarkable passage in the Old Testament. It pictures beautifully the coming day of Christ, as that narrative is a precursor to that history where Christ has made this substitutionary sacrifice for us, for all the fallen mankind. But as we'll learn from Hebrews chapter 11 today, there's more to the depth of that text. We learn from that narrative about faith and about genuine obedience to God. And we learn about God testing and proving the purifying of our hearts and we learn about God's provision, as David just read there at the conclusion of the 22nd chapter of Genesis. Abraham named that place a different name. He named it Yahweh, Yahweh, 
It translates Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. But now let's look at Hebrews 11 as the writer there gives us sort of a summary, a capturing, if you will, of that grand narrative with just a few verses. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So the writer of Hebrews is bringing up Abraham and Isaac's story to help us to flourish in our faith when we face the most difficult circumstances in life. Each of us is going to experience trials and tests. Certainly none of us will experience them to the depth that Abraham and Isaac experienced. For God had never required a sacrifice of a child before. And he has never required that since. In fact, it's the very opposite of that. God commands that we not do that. So there's some great understanding that we need to have in this text to know what's going on and know what it says to us individually. I want to mention five things about this text that I think will encourage us in our faith. Look at the handout and just follow along with me, if you will. First of all, we display the measure of our faith at all times. At all times, we are measuring our faith. We are demonstrating that. Now, that comes in the very first of this text in verse 17. You can see just three words there, by faith, Abraham. So imagine for yourself if your name was there rather than Abraham's. By faith, and then place your name there. And maybe we could put some experiences in our narrative if we're going to demonstrate our faith. By faith, John suffered the rejection of friends. Or by faith, Mary grieved the loss of her husband. Or by faith, Bill experienced financial difficulties. Or by faith, Ron faced disease. So we can see that pretty easily in the difficult times. Your demonstration of faith is very evident. In fact, there's been a number of times when people have gone through crises that I've said to them, never will there be a time in your life when more people are looking at you and your faith than right now. There's something about difficulty that really makes the demonstration of our faith very easily seen. But it's also in the good times as well. By faith, Alice and John married. Or by faith, Steve lived honorably. By faith, Katie managed the house well. So what if your life was the measured demonstration of faith? It is. By faith, Randy. All people are demonstrating their faith at all times. But now let's be clear about something that's very evident in the Scripture. Faith is not something we conjure up. It's not like something you're going to be able to come to, work towards, or build up in your life on your own. It's something that you do not innately have. Instead, faith is a gracious gift by God to us. It is God acting on our behalf. It is God giving us something that we don't have on our own. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this very clearly, doesn't it? 
by faith. Uh, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, lest any one of us would be able to boast. This is just a gift that God gives us. Our saving faith is a gift of God. Our sustaining faith is a gift of God. Every part of faith in our life is God's gift to us. Faith is not our own doing. It's not a result of our works, Paul says. It is God's gracious gift. And when we understand that fact, that can be a great relief to us that God is giving faith. Because if you're lacking faith, if you're struggling in faith, just ask God for it and then exercise in the gift that he gives to you. Just trust him that he is going to provide faith. He provided saving faith for you. He was pouring that out long before you ever thought about having it. God was giving you faith and you acted and exercised in that gift that he was giving to you. He's empowering you to live confidently in him. That's grace that has been given to you. So whether you're doing well or you're struggling, we all ought to be seeking God for great faith. He will give it in measure as he deems appropriate. I don't know about you, but I want the measure of my faith to increase. And I want it to be evident to me and I want it to be evident to people around me. I want people to make summary of your life and my life. Those are people of great faith. So our faith is always being demonstrated. Secondly, we recognize in this text that God tests our faith, revealing the state of our hearts to ourselves and others. Look what that verse says, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested... Verse 17 is alerting us to a very simple but profound truth. God tests our faith. And when God is testing our faith in either the newer or the Old Testaments, we recognize that he is testing it with fire. They're called trials by fire. And those fiery trials are meant to burn away the impurities and it's meant to purify our heart and our faith and our thinking and our living it's trials that are proving out or disproving our faith. Now, I just need to pause and remind us that God is not testing us of our faith because he needs the knowledge of our faith. God is not testing us for his own good. He's not wondering, well, just how strong is her faith? How strong is his faith? God already knows that. God knows everything about us. Every intricate detail is already known. Every thought is already perceived from afar. There is nothing that God doesn't know. So he is testing us. He's not testing us for his own knowledge. He is testing us for us to have the knowledge of our faith. How is our faith? How are you doing? He's revealing to us the measure of our faith, the purity of our faith. He is helping us to discover and to understand great faith. And when we endure, when we persevere through trials, he is proving that our faith is real and that we belong to him and that we are overcomers in Christ Jesus by faith. That is God's work in us. He's revealing that through the trials of life, the testing of life. And perhaps those trials reveal a lack of faith or a lacking faith. In those moments of weakness, we shouldn't be discouraged, but we should recognize that God loves us enough to reveal that. And at the same time he is revealing it, his Holy Spirit is moving us to ask him for increased faith. And he's giving us sustaining grace that we might walk in the treasure of that great faith, that we might exercise in that. 
So it's a wondrous thing that God is helping us to discover the state of our hearts, not just us, but others as well. There was once a father whose son was terribly threatened and constantly disturbed by a demon. And that evil spirit would seize his son and it would do great harm to him, casting him into the fire, casting him into the water. One day that man and his son went to find the disciples of Jesus Christ, hoping that they might be able to rescue the son from the demon, that they would cast him out. But they were unsuccessful in doing so. When Jesus approached the father and the disciples and others were actually arguing, and Jesus asked what was going on, inquired about the boy's situation, and the, men, the man presented his son to Jesus, and he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I love Jesus' response. He says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father cried out to Jesus, I believe, help me in my unbelief. That test, that trial right there was helping that man to discover his own need for increased faith. And he went to the source. He went to Christ asking him, increase my faith. And of course, Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the boy and he set him free. That narrative is as much to do about the father as it is about the son. We think mostly about the son who is rescued by Jesus from that demon. But really, it's helping us to identify the lacking faith of the father and how he went to Jesus, asking him not just to heal his son, but asking him to heal his heart, which was lacking in belief. And God did both. He'll do the same for you. The trial and the testing of faith is meant to identify our own heart and to reveal that heart of faith to other people. Another great story that you probably know well is about a woman who had a disease, an issue of blood for 12 years, and she had gone to all the doctors that she could ever afford and probably some that she couldn't afford. But one day she quietly approached Jesus because she had faith. If I could just touch him, even if it's just the hem of his garment, then I will be made well. And she made her way through that crowd one day and she touched him. And in that moment, she was made well. Her 12-year trial was proving out the heart of faith that she had. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I want us to recognize what Abraham was going through, what the father and the son were going through, and what this woman was going through. It's a trial by fire. And that trial by fire, that testing is proving out their hearts, not just to themselves, but to other people as well. Then number three. We reveal strong faith when we actively respond to God's call despite our natural tendencies and reasoning. Look what it says again in verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. I cannot think of a more harsher test than a father being called on to sacrifice his son or his daughter for that matter. 
Never before had God required that. Never has he required it since. But God was requiring it of Abraham, testing him, testing the most significant way of his heart. Would he sacrifice his son? In fact, let's go back to Genesis 22, verse 2. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and take and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, such a command is really unfathomable, isn't it? Isaac was the promised blessing to Abraham and Sarah, his wife, in their old age. He was the one whom God said would bless all the nations, including ours. Through him, Isaac's descendants would be innumerable like the stars of the sky. However, without him, Israel, from whom the Messiah would come, would never exist. Here's the basic bottom line. To offer Isaac as a sacrifice would kill all hope. That's unimaginable. And yet we don't hear Abraham arguing about it. We don't hear or read of him saying, now Lord, I don't see this. I don't understand. Instead, what we read about is Abraham rising early the next morning and heading off on a three-day journey to Mount Moriah. We just read of his immediate response of obedience, trusting that God would provide. It reminds me that oftentimes the commands of God go against our natural tendency and against the natural logic of the world. Sometimes they just don't jive. Case in point, loving God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind and strength does not make sense to somebody who's just living in the world. To reason that out, to love him who you have never seen, to love him whose voice you have never audibly heard, to give him your everything, just goes against the grain of what is normal and logical. Storing up for yourself treasures not on earth, but instead in heaven that is against our tendency isn't it we want to store up and clean things that we can hold today not stuff that we believe will be held for us in eternity that's just not logical is it that we would pay it forward pay in advance into heaven blessing our enemies and praying for those who persecute us that just goes against our natural way of thinking and it certainly goes against the inclination of our life it requires great faith to live in that way to have a call of missions to be called to give extraordinarily to give your life unto God an exalting ministry probably goes against every natural tendency and human reasoning that we could muster however it actively demonstrates obedience to Christ through faith Sometimes it's just not going to make sense. And sometimes it's just going to go against what is naturally the inclination of your life. But if God has commanded it, then your faith will help you to move to obey it. Then number four, we show evidence of strong faith when we believe God's word above all else. 
We show evidence of strong faith when we believe God's word above all else. There's a qualifying statement that I want to make sure we don't overlook in this passage. It's in verse 17 and 18. He who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Man, if I were going to circle in my Bible today, I'd circle he who had received the promises. And then I'd draw an arrow over to was in the act of offering up his son. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So obviously what's bookmarking here, the one who had received the promises, the promise that Isaac will give you the offspring, that one was offering up that son as a sacrifice. Some might ask, how could Abraham do it? How could he gather all of that together? How could he make the journey? How could he raise the knife in order to plunge it into his son? And the answer is very simple. God had promised him offspring through Isaac. And he believed God above all other things. He believed God above what he believed at that moment to be the reality that God's word would trump that. What he understood, he gave over to belief in God. So faith, the faith that God had given to Abraham meant that he would take God at his word. So he obeyed God completely with faith that God would provide and that God would fulfill his promise. He didn't see it. He didn't know how it was going to come about, but he trusted God in his word that God would do what he said he would do. So my friends, when you and I live as people who are poor in spirit, you can know for sure, certain that God's word is gonna trump every experience in, experience in your life and that the kingdom of heaven will belong to you. Oh, sure, you might live poor today. You might live poor in spirit today, but the kingdom of heaven is yours. Why? Because Jesus said it. And his word trumps every other thing that you know. As you mourn with faith, you can be confident that God will comfort you. Why? Because you mourn not as people who have no hope. Your hope is in God and his word. And his word out of the mouth of Jesus was, you shall be comforted. And when you are faithfully, humbly walking in this world, you are guaranteed that one day you are going to inherit the earth. And in faith, when you continue to hunger and thirst for righteousness, you can know that your fleshly cravings are not going to rule you. God's word is going to rule you. And you trust and believe that he will satisfy you. Though this world is contentious and it is rallying against one another, you can trust God and his promises that the peacemakers shall be called sons of God. That's letting God's word lift above everything else in your life and just trusting him with faith to walk obediently in him. So live by faith as sons and daughters of God and he will fulfill those great promises. And then number five, we expose strong faith when we trust God for the details to fulfill his promises. Look at verse 19. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. He just believed and trusted in God for the details. It didn't make sense what he thought might be the conclusion. He trusted God in the midst of the details that God would conclude it as he promised it. 
So faith gave Abraham the vision to see what was not a reality yet. He had the vision. Abraham must have thought, I don't know how God is going to do it, but all I know is that God said that my offspring would come through Isaac. And even if it means him raising him from the dead, I will obey. We can trust God who rules sovereignly over all things, doing all things for his glory and our good. We can trust that he will act in truth and love and mercy and in justice. For we know as Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good for those who are loving God, who are called according to his purposes. So the details might seem disjointed in your life right now. The struggles that you are having might seem to be out of place. It might be that your life order seems a little misaligned, but every detail facilitates God's purposes for him and for your lives. You can trust him in that. Some details are going to bring loss and pain and suffering and sorrow, no doubt. But one day we will see a stupendous result. In the process, we are offering gloriously God our obedience in faith. And he will wonderfully transform not just that day in the future, but he will transform us today into the image of his son and into the nature of his spirit. One struggle at a time, just trusting him, walking in faith, believing God and his promises. I'm mindful during this season we're in right now that the holidays can highlight your grief. They can highlight the pain of your life and they can even highlight confusion that you have. Why is God doing this? Or why did God allow that? Why this test? Why this trial? I can empathize you, but I can also tell you at the same time, with great faith, look beyond the present day realities to the completion of the promises of God. It'll be your faith that will allow you to see that way. And if you say, I just can't see it, then go to the one who will offer it to you and give it to you graciously. God, I can't see what you're doing, but give me faith to trust that you're doing it right, that you're doing it well, and that you are accomplishing according to your purposes and my good. Give me faith, please. And then just choose to exercise in that. So long before I was developing points to this message, I was just jotting down some thoughts. Just some things that the Spirit was lifting to my own heart. And I want to conclude with those few that are right there at the end of your handout. Number one, is God calling you to give up something? For Abraham, it was his son. Is God calling you to give up something? I mostly think that God calls me to give up something that is not holy, not pure, not above. But sometimes it might be even different than that. Is God calling you to give up something? You say, would God do that? Oh man, our first beginning steps of being in relationship with him was a call to do without something. I mean, wasn't it? It was a call from the sin in your life in repentance to the holiness of Christ. 
It was a call away from sin to holiness. It was a call away from self-rule to Christ's rule. I mean, the beginnings of salvation is God calling us away from something to him. And even in our day-by-day -day journey in faith, it is God calling us away from something, to do away with something, isn't it? It's we're doing away from the world and we're living purposefully in the kingdom of heaven. It's not being a citizen of the world so much as it is now being a citizen of Christ in heaven. It's no longer being a son of the enemy, it's being a son of God or a daughter of the devil, now a daughter of God. It's God calling us away from, take off these things and put on these things. So just outright, it's God with faith in you calling you to do away with something. Is God calling you from something to give up something beloved, to relinquish? Secondly, trusting God's promises requires hope beyond present realities. I just struggle. I don't mind being authentic before you. I struggle sometimes with present realities as if they trump the promises of God. That doesn't make sense for me. I'm just exposing my weaknesses to you. Realities have a way of taking my attention above that of God. And I need the Spirit of God to speak God's promises to me and to build up my faith in a way that I trust the promises of God above the realities that I'm experiencing. Because there is a greater reality, is there not? If everything that is real to us today, all that we touch and hold and see, is going to be destroyed, which God says it will, then there is a greater reality. Is it not that that is a reality of heaven? Is it not the reality of eternity? Is it not the reality of his word that has always been and always will be? So, oh God, help me to have faith to not let today's realities trump the promises that are eternal. And your word that is eternal. Help me there. Maybe that's your prayer as well. The third thought is we've got to learn to embrace the trials. Man, do I ever want to wiggle out of the trials. When the testing by fire comes, I'm looking to get out of the heat. Are you? But if God is altogether sovereignly loving and engaging doing things according to his purpose and for our good, shouldn't we press into the trial? Lord, there's nothing about me in my heart or in my nature that is inclined to be given to this trial. I want to be free from this trial. And oh God, if you would take the cup from me, take it from me. Nevertheless, what you're doing, what you're bringing about, let it be done. Let your will trump mine. Embrace the trial. When James and Peter began to embrace the trials in their lives, it changed them. And they wrote some amazing texts like what's on the screen. Count it all joy, my brothers, 
When you meet trials of various kinds, what is he saying there? Count it with joy because God is doing something new in you. God is working in you. God is revealing. God is sharpening. God is pruning. God is building. Count it all joy that God loves you enough to bring you to the point of the trial that you are now in. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness just standing steadily in God and his word and his promises, a steadfastness. And when steadfastness has its way in you, it will have a fullness of effect. And what is that fullness effect? All the working of God in us so that we might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Embrace the trials. Or Peter would say it this way, in this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, what is that? More precious than anything in this world, more precious than the treasures here that perish through, though it is tested by fire, it may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, God is doing something in you so that when the revelation of Christ is exposed, then you will praise him and give him glory. Embrace the trials. So are you struggling? Ask God for faith to lean to him in the struggle. When you're confused, ask him for the promises, the clarity of the promises, so that the promises elevate higher than the reality in front of you. When you're tested, know that God is lovingly caring and providing. He's shaping, he's nurturing. Father, I need help in this, this truth and the people in this room probably need help as well. Those who are listening or watching online, I pray God that you would help us to have greater faith, that we would press to you and your word and your promises and that we would recognize that you're doing something beyond us, greater than us, you're calling us to something. Let there not be anything that we wouldn't be willing to let go of. Let there be nothing that we hold more tightly than you and your presence and your truth. For Lord, how much better we are when we live in that way. So we thank you for faith, faith that is given with great generosity from you, faith that is unearned, faith that we don't have innately faith is just a gift thank you for that and we thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us to exercise in faith and we thank you for your word that is written for us and we pray Lord that you would find us leaning to you pressing to you and your truth so help us God in Jesus name Amen